last week we started uh, the return of Rewind. When we look right. back and take a look at the movies that are celebrating their 10th anniversaries and their 20th anniversaries. And, you know, last week we had a couple of good ones, including A Knight's Tale, you know, uh, also starring Paul Bettany, a priest. We had a couple of good ones. Well, guys, it's time for Rewind again as we're going to look back at On This Week, the movies that are celebrating their 10th anniversaries and the movies that are celebrating their 20th anniversaries. And we're going to get started with this one, guys. Celebrating 10 years. Rob, it has been a decade since these movies opened. We're going to talk about here first Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Pirates of the Caribbean. That is 10 years old. Of course, this one I was really excited about because Ian McShane uh, was starring in it as well. It's not great. The movie is not great. It uh, had a Rotten Tomatoes rating of 33%. However, it was very financially successful, as most of the Pirates movies are, making $1.4 billion at the box office. So, yes, the first one we're looking at here is Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Also celebrating its 10th anniversary is a movie with much, much better reviews, but I actually didn't like all that much to be honest with you but it is the owen wilson film uh midnight in paris uh i remember rob when this movie came out people raved about this movie i loved it absolutely right you know i didn't like it all that much but i'm obviously in the vast minority this has got a 93 percent rotten tomatoes rating and for a small little film kind of art film like this it didn't do too terribly bad made 154 million dollars at the box office. So those are the ones turning 10 years old this week. We've got Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, and we've got Midnight in Paris with Owen Wilson. Of course, Owen Wilson, we're about to see him on Disney Plus in the new Loki series. So that's pretty cool to see. All right. Now, let's look at the films turning 20 years old that was released wide for the first time 20 years ago, Rob. Two decades ago. Wrap your heads around this, everybody. Shrek. The original Shrek is now 20 years old. Of course, this went on to become an incredibly great and successful film franchise. The original one had an 88% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Honestly, I thought it should be higher than that. And the thing is, for the first one of its time, and remember, this movie came out 20 years ago, made almost $500 million. And the first one, $484 million. The combination of Mike Myers and Eddie Murphy's voices as Shrek and Donkey, uh, just completely iconic and memorable forever. Shrek turning 20 years old. That's insane, dude. It's crazy, but so is this one. And this is my favorite movie on this list because this movie is actually, I talk about it all the time, this movie is in my, literally is in my top 20 all-time greatest films for, Uh for me personally. Top 20 all-time greatest films for me. And that is the incredible, absolutely remarkable Nicole Kidman, Hugh McGregor in Moulin Rouge. This movie to me is one of the most creative, visually stunning, um, just this kinetic energy to it that goes from the first frame of the movie to the last frame of the movie. You'll sing, you'll laugh, you'll cry. Dude, there's not a dry eye in the house at the end of this movie. This movie, to me, again, I, I think is one of the greatest movies ever made. I absolutely love this. Ewan McGregor shows off that he's got pipes, dude. 
Nicole Kidman too. Like they, they do their own singing in this thing. And it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, Hugh McGregor, actually my favorite scene in the movie is Hugh McGregor singing to Nicole Kidman, uh, his version of the Elton John song. You can tell everybody this is your song. And the way, the way, El, the way, uh, you McGregor sings it, it's beautiful. I mean, I watch it. I'll, I'll just every once in a while, pop that thing up there and just be completely swept away by it. Moulin Rouge turns 20 years old. So just to highlight again, guys, celebrating their 10th anniversaries, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, the one with Ian McShane in it. Also celebrating its 10th anniversary this week, the Owen Wilson film, Midnight in Paris. Celebrating 20 years, we've got the original Shrek. Everybody knows Shrek. And one of my personal favorite all-time movies, also turning 20 years old, is Nicole Kim and Ewan McGregor in Moulin Rouge. Uh, Rob, that is a great... And by the way, there is one other, I realize. Uh, Mm. There is another one that we missed that we forgot to put up on here. Uh, A little bit of a forgettable film. It's the... um, uh, Jennifer Lopez film Angel Eyes, I believe, is also turning 20 this week. Angel Eyes kind of came and went. It wasn't a very good movie. I think got about a 30% uh, critic rating, made about $30 million at the box office. So there's also the Jennifer Lopez film Angel Eyes also turning 20. But we're going to be focusing on these four. Rob, as you look through these, uh, this list here, you got Pirates of the Caribbean, Stranger Tides, Midnight in Paris, Shrek, Moulin Rouge. Like what stands out to you when you start hearing that list of names? Well, once again, I have to say how old I am and how much closer to death I've become. But I think that, like, you know, I was I'm a fan of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. I didn't love as much uh, on Stranger Tides as much as I would have liked. But um, I really love the first and the third movies a lot. But I still liked it. And um, I love Midnight in Paris. I mean, to me, Midnight in Paris, I consider it a fantasy film. I mean, it has magical time travel, but. I really like the message of the movie, you know, and, and the whole milieu of it, obviously Paris, and then going back and meeting these great figures from literary history, like F F Scott Fitzgerald. And I, I just, I, I enjoy Tom Hiddleston of course was in the movie. Yes, and, he was. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, it's a delightful film. It's certainly wish fulfillment. And, um, I can't believe it's 10 years old. I can't believe it's a decade old. I mean, I think about my life in decades, and that's a substantial chunk of my life ago. <laughs> you know? Well, why um, do you think I feel thinking about like Moulin Rouge being 20 years old? I still remember the first time I sat down to watch it. And now it's just stop and think that was 20 years ago. Like, oh my know, God. I love Moulin Rouge. I mean, there, Baz Luhrmann really, I love his, I call his Romeo and Juliet the Blade Runner of Shakespeare movies. <laughs> and uh, I, Moulin Rouge, while a lot of people felt it was overly kinetic and all that, to me, it was just, ver- I, I'm a big Baz Luhrmann fan. I like yeah. Australia. I love the great, his version of The Great Gatsby. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, the- a lot more than I thought. And I can't wait to see whatever craziness he comes up with with his Elvis film. As Elvis biopic, you know, that Tom Hanks is in. And I, as an editor myself, I I, I marveled at the, the editorial work in, in Moulin Rouge. And sure, it might have been hyperkinetic, but the music was great. His use of pop pop music, his cast, uh, John Leguizamo as Toulouse-Lautrec. I, I just, I there's nothing about Moulin Rouge that I don't like. 
Oh, it's awesome. And by the way, uh, Ansh uh, Benka in the live chat brings up a good point. It's like, that's right, with Tom Hiddleston in Midnight in Paris. I guess you could say Loki is a Midnight in Paris reunion show, reunion movie. So so there you go, because you got Owen Wilson in there. And Yeah, yeah, I see what you're there. They, uh. <laughs> anyway, guys, out of those films that we just talked about, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, Midnight in Paris, Shrek and Moulin Rouge, what are the ones that stand out to you? Jump on down to the comment section below. And let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's do another off the top. And that one is this. You know, Rob, whenever you talk about, when people like to talk about uh, superhero animated things, Mm. there's obviously been a lot of superhero animation stuff over the years. But one of the titles that gets brought up probably more than any in the conversations I listen in on is that, Warner Brothers Batman animated series uh, that do you remember it used the score from the Tim Burton movie in it and all that kind of stuff. A lot yeah. of people. And what was the name of the gentleman who did the main voice again? I keep freezing on Kevin his name. Con- Kevin, Kevin Conroy. Conroy. So Kevin Conroy, you know, became kind of an iconic voice, really became the voice of Batman to a lot yeah. of people. And it was really celebrated a lot. Well, guess what? HBO Max wants to dip back into that pool a little bit. As they have announced a brand new, they've greenlit a brand new Batman animated series that apparently is really going to lead into the, you know, the dark noir kind of aspect of it. And get this, it's being brought to us by Matt Reeves, who's of course doing the new, the Batman movie and JJ Abrams. The two of them are doing this thing here together. Uh, it says here in the Hollywood Report of the Powerhouse Directors join DC Animated Universe veteran Bruce Tim, which will make a lot of people feel good about this. Bruce Tim for a reimagining of the Cape Crusader that returns to the character's noir roots. Let's just read a, a little bit of this here uh, while we've got it on screen here. J.J. Abrams. Uh, Matt Reeves uh, are re-teaming for the new Batman animated series. The powerhouse directors, along with DC Animated Universe, uh, Bruce Tim, have received a straight-to-series order for Batman Caped Crusader. Is going to be the name of it from HBO Max and the Cartoon Network. The I series like that is title. I do too. The Cape Crusader. The series because you're running out of things that you can call them. So Cape Crusader is a good one still. Uh, let's see. Uh, the series is billed as a reimagining of the Batman mythology. We are beyond excited to be working together to bring this character back to tell engrossing new stories in Gotham City, said J.J. Abrams and Matt Reeves in a statement. The series will be thrilling, cinematic, and evocative of Batman's noir roots while diving deeper into the psychology of these iconic characters. We cannot wait to share this new world. So, yeah, so we got HBO Max is kind of leaning heavily as, you know, they are still technically belong to AT&T for now. Of course, AT&T, we spoke yesterday, have just agreed to sell off Warner Media to Discovery, and Discovery is going to merge itself in with Warner Media after that. So that's becoming, but they've greenlit this. Rob, I'm not going to lie to you. I hate most Marvel and DC animated garbage. I hate yes, most I of know. it. <laughs> there, there are some exceptions. There are some exceptions. But for the most part, I don't get excited about either DC or Marvel animated stuff. I got to say, an animation like this that is going to tap back into like the, those noir roots of the character, being brought to us by the guys who are bringing it, I've, I've got to say, I am instantly at least intrigued. I'm at least instantly intrigued when I hear about, you know, those who are going to be involved with it and the whole style they seem to be approaching with it. Anyway, Rob, uh, you've heard this story. 
They're bringing this new animated series that looks like to HBO Max and to the Cartoon Network. What do you think about this? I, well, I think it's fantastic. I mean, you know, look, I am not I've, – I've been an outspoken uh, um, critic of J.J. Abrams' work, his film work, feature film work. However, there is no doubt that he has shaped uh, television programming for the last better part of two decades. And he's been responsible for some great shows, Alias, Lost, you know, even though these shows don't – they're wildly inconsistent. Obviously, he does have his pulse on what works on TV. And to hire Bruce Tim to do this, who I'm sure will will get Alan Burnett and, um, um, you know, Paul Dini and, and, and the crew back together is a huge – it's a great move, you know, and, and, and in conjunction with the Batman film coming out and they're doing an HBO series. Uh, I think this is what better move could you make? You know, you, 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 you hire the best people. Why not go back to the people that have done the best Batman animated series ever and say, <laughs> Hey, we'd like to make a new Batman series. Why don't you do it for us? You know, hiring really talented people, who whose previous work in the same area is beyond reproach, not just good business. Yeah, 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 it is. And I, I think this could be very interesting. Of course, this could be just slobbering garbage like most Marvel and DC animated stuff, but I think it's got a, a pretty good jump ahead of it. Question is for you guys. What do you think about the sounds of this? Batman Caped Crusader, a brand new noir Batman animated series ordered straight to series by HBO Max. How do you guys feel about this? Are you excited about it? Are you going to take a wait and see kind of approach? Whatever you guys think, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, let's do one more off the top. And we're going to stay in the world of Batman here for this, Rob. Uh, right. Not not a huge story, but interesting nonetheless. Speaking of Matt Reeves and Batman, we, of course, have coming up in 2022, The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson. Very excited about it. The stuff they've shown, the trailers and the sizzles they've shown for it, the images we've seen. Uh, I think Robert Pattinson is a tremendously underrated actor. I've been saying that long before they cast him as Batman. Um, and with Matt Reeves directing it, obviously, I would prefer to have Ben Affleck directing it. But if it can't be Ben Affleck... Matt Reeves is a great guy to have in there. Very excited about it. Well, now some new images are, have now been released and come out regarding the new Batman in the form of a calendar, Rob. We got a Batman <laughs> calendar. Is there uh, naked women in it? There are no naked women in it. No, uh, they're not going that route. But oh, we know. do have a bunch of images for this uh, new calendar that you can see here. So you can see all 12 things that they're going to have on here. So we take a look at, we get a good look at, you know, Robert Pattinson's Batman here. We got a little bit more of the Batman. Normally Bat and Man are on the same line, but they have it uh, a little off here. And the thing, you know, Hero, this is interesting. They give us our first kind of peak, although it is barely a silhouette of Selena Kyle. They're not saying Catwoman. They're just saying Selena Kyle, obviously riding her motorcycle there. We get a pretty decent little look at what Riddler is going to look like. So there's uh, there's that. I think we've seen some images of that before, too. Uh, a little bit of a look at what the Batmobile is going to look like. I am the Shadows. Okay. A little bit of, uh, oh, who played Shadow again? Alec Baldwin. A little bit of Alec yeah. Baldwin there. I'm the Shadow. And of course, you get Vengeance. All he's got there is Vengeance. And then, you know, a couple, basically it's abstract art stuff. So unmask the truth with Riddler up here. Then, you know, uh, 
Uh, my life has been a riddle, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's all right. And then we'll take a look at this is a look at the the main cover here, right here of what this Batman calendar is going to be like. So not a lot of major revelations in here or anything, Rob, but a couple of interesting little peeks at some things. It's It feels like this is the first little salvo. They're going to start the awareness and marketing engine going up for this in the next couple of months. This is one they're probably going to start marketing longer out than they should. But anyway, this could be the first thing. Are any one of these images stand out to you? Well, I mean, I, I'm just fascinated by the whole overall feel of this movie. You know, we've we've had the Tim Burton and the Joe Schumacher era, which was heavily stylized and 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 more 66 Batman and 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 film noir. Then we move to the Christopher Nolan area era, which is sort of ultra realistic, shot on the streets of Chicago and Pittsburgh or wherever they went and shot, you know, those films. And now we've got this era which seems to me to be, it feels almost like a period piece, but set yeah. again in our real world. I mean, I don't know why, but I get like this 70s vibe from it, you know? Yeah, I, I totally, yeah, I do too. A little bit of 70s, early 80s, a, a little bit of, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I can't remember. Oh, I'm frozen on the title. But no, I see well, what you're saying. You can, see, you can sense that airiness of it. Yeah, you know, like I, I, I feel like I love the seventies is one of my favorite eras of movies, and I love when they did like the New York of the seventies, garbage-strewn streets and crime, and we still had the grunge of Times Square, you know, Forty Second Street, and all that. I feel like this has a combination of seventies and gothic vibe to it, and uh, yet it's firmly set in the real world, and I, I love it. Uh, you know, I'm really. I'm really excited to see where this goes. And I think kudos to Matt Reeves for once again, we're getting a reinvention of Batman through his lens. And I, I, I'm really excited. And the fact that they released this calendar, probably because they thought them, they were contractually out there. Like the movie was supposed to be out by now, but I like that we get this glimpse of what they're doing. Cause it only serves to make me more excited. I agree. Question is for you guys. What do you think about these little calendar images? I, again, nothing in there to shake the world. No massive reveals or anything, but a couple of neat little looks. What do you guys think about it? Jump on down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here in the John Campion Show? Well, it's really simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come, you come across a big topic, story, or issue that you think we should have as a main topic here on the show, go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets sent into us by uh, Prestonian, who writes, Hey, John and Rob, I hope today is treating you well. I just heard that Charles Grodin, the star of 1972's The Heartbreak Kid, has just passed away. I remember him most vividly uh, as the hapless dad in Beethoven uh, and the 80s movie, uh, The Lonely Guy. He has played mostly supporting roles, but I think he is memorable. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, uh, Prestoni. And yes, it was actually during the John Campia show yesterday uh, as we were closing out the show that the news broke 
of, uh, of, of Charles passing away. And, you know, when you look at, I mean, obviously when people think of him, they'll think of heartbreak kid and, you know, Beethoven's and all that kind of stuff for me. And now this is the weirdest thing because it's a small little bit part, basically a cameo that he does, but it's the one that I will, whenever I think of him, I always think of this moment. And Rob, do you remember the Mike Myers film? So I married an ax murderer. Of course. I love that movie. And of course, Charles Grodin as the guy is his buddy, the cop is trying to commandeer a vehicle. It's like, sir, I need to commandeer a vehicle. And then you look down and it's Charles Grodin in the car. I'm just like, no, it was just, just the way he played it. Like so deadpan was so great. And and I just remember that was like one of the most memorable parts of the movie to me, just because of how incredibly deadpan he played it. And so I, I know it sounds strange with all the work that he's done. When I think of Charles, I automatically go to Sorry, Meriden Axe Murder just because of that element that he brought into it there that I thought was so great. But anyway, Rob, you heard about the passing uh, of Groden. What do you think of when you think of him in his career? Well, I have to say that one of the first things that came to mind, I, I'm a huge fan of Charles Groden. Uh, Midnight Run is such a favorite movie of mine. But I think about his role in Roman Polanski's 1968 horror film based on Ira Levin's novel, Rosemary's Baby, where he played the kindly Dr. Hill and and poor Mia Farrow as Rosemary Woodhouse goes to him for help. She's convinced that everyone is out to get her and he feels it, it feels like he's going to be uh, her savior. But instead, not knowing what's really going on, turns her back over to the coven that... Uh, stood by while Satan himself had his way with Rosemary Woodhouse and <laughs> impregnated her with the son of Satan. And you just feel like, oh, because he's so good in the role. He's such a nice guy. And when, when he, he doesn't mean to sell her out, but when he does, you're like, oh, Chuck, Chuck, <laughs> you've doomed the world to have the baby of Satan born in New York in the Bramford. And uh, I, it's always what I think of when I think of Charles Grodin. Plus, I love the Heartbreak Kid, which he starred in. But, you know, he, again, when we lose people like him, what a life well lived. Yes. I mean, he was a favorite on the talk show circuit. Johnny Carson loved him. And he gave us a body of work. He was never really, I was a leading man occasionally, but he was such a great supporting actor. And I think he's left, he's left us such a legacy of, of great movies. And if you've never seen a Charles Grodin movie, I cannot recommend Midnight Run highly enough. It was director Martin Brest's follow-up to Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, it came before Scent of a Woman and and uh, Meet Joe Black. I'm a huge fan of that movie. Midnight Run is a delightful 80s, I guess you'd call it a, it's not really a buddy cop movie, but it's that buddy, buddy kind of vibe. And uh, what a talent he was. Guys, question is for you. What do you think about when you look back at Charles's career and you think about all the different films he's appeared in over the different eras and the things he's done? What stands out to you the most uh, as you look back on his life and career? Uh, once again, the passing of Charles Grodin uh, at, at the age of 86 and uh, our thoughts and well wishes out to all those who knew and worked with him. OK, guys, with that down, let's now move into main topic number two and our second main topic today gets submitted to us by NBR, who writes, Hi, John. Next to movies, my second favorite medium of entertainment is musicals. And one of my favorite musicals of all time is Dear Evan Hansen. 
Today, I saw the first trailer for its movie adaptation, and I have to say it has me slightly worried. While I loved uh, Ben Platt in the role on Broadway, I fear that he's too old to convincingly play a high schooler. Uh, what did you think about the trailer, and have you watched or listened to the original show? Okay, thanks a lot for saying that in NBR. And yeah, listen, I have never, I have heard of Dear Evan Hansen uh, on Broadway. I have heard of it, but I've never seen it. I've never heard a single number from it. I was aware that a movie, Evan Hansen, you know, Julianne Moore was going to be in it. And I heard they yeah. got the kid who starred in the Broadway version. I, I heard of that ages ago, but this is a movie that has completely been off my radar, completely been off my radar. And then yesterday I'm going through the news feeds and you know, somebody mentions uh, a Dear Evan Hansen trailers drop. So I, I go over and check it out. I was floored by this trailer. <laughs> I, I love, I'll, I'll use the word loved. I love this trailer. And I don't know if a part of that is because I am not aware of the original show and the original story. I'm not aware of it. So as I'm watching this trailer, it's all hitting me very fresh. And the whole concept of it and the themes they seem to touch on and the scenarios that it creates, I'm watching this trailer and I felt my heart getting attached to the story just from the trailer itself. And so I, I say this as a guy who has no pre-existing hype because of the Broadway show. I don't know anything about Ben Platt and the fact that he played it on stage. So I don't care about that. All I know is that I sat down and watched a trailer that did what movies should do. They should touch our souls. And, and this was a trailer to me that really touched my soul as I was watching it. And I cannot wait to see this movie. Uh, it has instantly propelled itself up to my top five most anticipated still to come out in 2021. Uh, I thought it was great. Now, one of the interesting things that a lot of people are talking about here today is the fact that, okay, they got Ben Platt, who plays a 17-year-old high school student, on the Broadway show, this is years later, he's now 27 years old. And he's now playing a 17-year-old in that. This is not new, though. This is not new. I mean, they had people getting ready to apply for Social Security uh, who were starring in 90210 that were supposed to be high school students. I mean, this isn't exactly anything new. I mean, we still have Tom Holland, who's only a couple of years younger than, than Ben Platt is, still playing a high schooler, Peter Parker. I mean, so this isn't new. And no. Look, we bring up this this image again. When we look at him here, I, uh, yeah, if you were to tell me that's a 17-year-old kid on his way to high school, I'd buy it. i buy it. I mean, also, if you told me this is a 24-year-old guy, you know, on an awkward first date, I would also buy that. But I, I, you know, to me, it's not a big issue. Honestly, I think it's more people who are fans of the original material that might be a little bit more caught up in this than anybody else. But I, I think it worked personally. I think it worked. And here, Rob, did you have a chance to check out this trailer? Were you aware of the original musical? I really wasn't very much, but what did you think about the trailer? Well, I have to tell you, I, I had vaguely heard of this show, but I didn't really know anything about it. And like you, by the end of the trailer, I was completely on board with this whole story. I mean, my God, it starts out, you know, it, it, it's difficult subject matter to deal with. And then you watch where this is all going. And then, of course, I thought it was going to be a feel good 
movie and <laughs> it turns into, oh, nope, feel good movie turns really dark. <laughs> and the poor guy was just trying to, he got, he, he, he let circumstances get out of control in his life and everybody around him, everything goes to hell. And yet it's a musical. And I'm like, I love these kinds of stories. And I, uh, the music is clearly, I, I mean, the music was written by the people that did Greatest Showman. Uh, I'm sure that the tunes, <laughs> I, 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 we are, I'm sure there's a cast album. I just haven't heard any of it. But when I saw this trailer, I'm like, oh, I'm so there for this. You know, I, I just love stories like this in general. I think they're kind of irresistible. So, and it's got a great cast. Oh yeah, has an incredible cast, including like I'm I'm kind of watching. My wife and I both really like watching Mayans, and uh, the, uh, they've got Miguel, uh, the guy who plays the kid who commits suicide. His father or his stepfather is right. a dude from uh, from Mayans. So I I get kind of geeked out when I see people from Mayans and things. So that's pretty cool. And you know this is this is um written. I don't know if it's written, but it's directed by the writer director of The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Yes, that's right. So, and I, I love that movie. You know, it's one of the, it's one of the, the teen, I don't, I wouldn't call it necessarily a comedy, but teen coming of age stories. I, I really enjoyed that film a lot. Uh, I thought Ezra Miller was great in it. I just, I really love that film. All right, guys, question is for you. What did you think about the trailer for Dear Evan Hansen? I think it's called. Anyway, guys, what did you think about it? Were you a fan of the original Broadway musical? Were you unaware of it like I was? What kind of impact did this trailer make on you? Maybe you didn't think it was all that good at all. Maybe you loved it. Whatever you, you guys thought, jump on down to the comments section and leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic gets sent in to us by... Calvin Hobbes. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> Calvin and Hobbes, one of the greatest comic strips of all time. Anyway, Calvin Hobbes writes, Hey, John, I don't know if you've ever read the comic Nemesis. It's basically a Batman-like character, rich, skilled, no superpowers, but he's insanely evil. Anyway, I just read that uh, Emerald Fennel, who is writing the script for a live, is writing the script for a live action movie. She just won an Oscar for writing Promising Young Woman. I think this has the potential to be the greatest comic book movie ever made. What are your thoughts? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And listen, the re the reality is, you hear us say Nemesis, and right. most of you probably don't know what we're talking about. No, it's the last Star Trek movie with the Next Generation cast, right? Yeah, that's what it is, right? Right. So <laughs> here's the thing. Back in the day, um, when uh, I brought on this guy to start working with me, this uh, little guy, very diminutive in stature, very, very quiet, very shy guy named John Schnepp, um, who is obviously none of those things. Uh, John Schnepp and I, when we started walk, uh, working together, one of the very first, if not the first comic book, uh, graphic novel story that he ever recommended to me was this graphic novel called Nemesis. And I remember the next day he came into the office and he brought in a copy of it for me. And I'm like, okay. And, and basically he said, think of a Bruce Wayne and a Batman, only he's incredibly twisted and very, very evil. And what kind of havoc that could cause on a world. I'm like, okay, that sounds interesting. So I take this, this comic and Rob, without exaggeration, 
I couldn't put, I didn't put it down once until I finished it. <laughs> I, I just, you couldn't, I couldn't stop. It is one of the most interesting and, and, and you got to get beyond the, oh, it's Batman, but if he was, it, 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 but he's, but if he was evil, right? That is accurate it, in a way, but it's so much more. And the story of the underlying drama between him and this police chief and the games that get played and what this guy is capable of. This was a, a story that it just instantly enthralled me. And I thought two things. I remember Schnepp and I talked about this. It's like, this could be like the greatest comic book movie ever. If it had, it had the potential at least to be yeah. like one of the, if not the greatest comic book movie ever, if it's done right. But you can say that a lot about a lot of comic book stories, but it is so modern in its drama. The drama in it is incredible. And it's all character. And yep. the action is great and all this kind of stuff. But we also both agreed this is never going to happen, though, because nobody <laughs> knows Nemesis. Nobody's ever heard of this. It's it's a, maybe a little bit too dark. If it was a popular IP, maybe you could go this dark, blah, 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 blah. But now here they come and they are doing it. Now, I heard whispers that they were going to try to do it before and that they were getting things moving, but I just dismissed it immediately that it's not going to happen. And now, Rob, they go out and they get a reigning Oscar-winning writer to come in and pen the script for this thing. This, to me, is insane. Now, this comes just from the folks over at Movie Web who writes, The Nemesis movie is moving forward with promising young woman filmmaker uh, Emerald Fennell, the comic book writer Mark Millar, who created and wrote the Nemesis comic book series for Marvel Comics, has announced that Fennell wrote, this, wrote the latest screenplay for the long gestating project. It's not clear if Fennell is also intended to direct, uh, and no director has officially been attached to the movie at this time. Uh, Emerald Fennell, who just won an Oscar for Best Screenplay for Promising Omen, has just delivered the latest draft of the Nemesis screenplay, which is extremely cool, uh, Miller said. Rob, when... You take a story that I think I have thought for almost 10 years that this is a story that has the potential to maybe be like one of the greatest, if not the greatest comic book movie of all time, if done right. And now they're bringing on and they brought on an Academy Award winning screenwriter to pen the script to which the original creator is saying, this is extremely cool. Look, obviously I am not here saying that if this does get to the next stage and gets greenlit and they make it, that it will be the greatest comic book movie of all time. Hell, I can't even sit here and say it'll be a good movie. Who knows? It might be terrible. But there are certain stories, Rob, and there are certain individual talents that carry a potential to the table that not every project has. And I just know that when I look at this, a story like Nemesis in the hands of an Oscar-winning writer the potential for what this movie could be is unmeasurable. It's off the charts about how good this could potentially be. Anyway, you can tell I'm very excited about this news when I heard this. I am very, very stoked about this. Rob, I know you've read Nemesis. You're hearing this move. What are your thoughts and reactions to this? Oh, I, I feel the same way. I mean, you know, what I love about Nemesis is it's not like this. It doesn't pull any punches. I mean, our, our main character, he does really bad things. <laughs> he kills lots and lots of people. And um, uh, I, I wonder how far, not that 
you know, we wallow in death, but the way that they portray him and his people and the, why he's doing what he's doing, it, it's pretty delicious, <laughs> you know, if you want to call it that. And I, I would love to see this realized. And what I think is really interesting, John, I mean, we might be reaching superhero or supervillain fatigue, but I think this is a really unique property. And I hope that it's uh, obviously the pedigree of the project now has been elevated. I, I think after watching Promising Young Woman that Emerald Fennell could really bring something to this unique. I, I At first you might think, meh, is she the right writer? But if you really watch Promising Young Woman, I would say, yes, yes, she is. So I'm excited. The great thing too about Nemesis is that it's not it's not your typical comic book fair because it's like kind of a blending, Rob. It's a bit of an amalgamation of like an evil Batman mixed a little bit with um the game, the gamemanship drama like you would get in Michael Douglas's and Sean Penn's The Game. Or it's got there's a little bit of seven in there. Yeah. It's got, I mean, it's hard to describe nemesis to people who have never read it before but i highly 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 encourage you guys if you have never read nemesis uh do pick it up give it a read it was the like i said it's the first comic john schnepp ever gave to me for me to read that i was really unaware of and it has been with me and haunted me and ever since it's just a fantastic comic story question is for you guys what do you think about this news? I obviously am very excited about the potential of what this thing could be. Of course, it could turn out to be a steaming pile of garbage, whatever, but I think the potential is sky high. What do you guys think about this? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with all that down and out of the way, it's now time for us to move on and start taking your live questions and comments. And once again, how do you get in a live question or comment on the show? It's simple. Simply go into the description of this video. You'll see a tip link. Click on that there manually, or you could enter it in at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. One other thing, guys, I've been seeing this popping up again lately. Don't forget to fill out that top line that says your name, because if you guys are going to send us in a fun topic for us to talk about and send us in a tip to support the channel, I want to make sure your name gets a shout out. So when you forget to fill out that top line, it just comes in as anonymous. And if you want it to be anonymous, you can leave it as anonymous. But uh, I also I just want to make sure you guys get a shout out for supporting our channel. OK, with that down, let's get on over and start taking your questions, shall we? And we're going to get things started here with BK Dan, who writes. John, you mentioned playing poker a lot. Yes. Do you play slash prefer Hold'em or five-card draw? I prefer Hold'em. Um, uh, allows more chances for rarer hands to show. Yeah, the only poker I play, like I don't play Omaha. I don't play anything. I play uh, no Hold'em, no limit Hold'em. That's what I play. That's it's, it's the standard, most standard game of poker in the world right now. It's what they play at the World Series of Poker. Uh, like I said, I don't play any of the other games. None of the other poker games. I just play No Limit Hold'em. And uh, yeah, so that's the game that I play. All right, thanks for asking, Dan. All right, next up, M56 Smart Gunner writes, Hey, John and Co., I just wanted to stop by and say hi uh, to say I still really appreciate everything uh, you all are doing to entertain all of us. Still dealing with COVID-19 symptoms two months after uh, positive with ER tests and heart tests. I am watching from the ER. Oh, dude, that's, uh, you know, I've, Rob, I've heard that from a bunch of people that uh, I've heard from a bunch of people, like even a couple of pro athletes talking about they got COVID because, you know, some people get got COVID, Rob, and didn't even know they had COVID. 
right? Some people get it and die. Some people get it. It knocks them on their ass for, for a bit and then they're right back up. But there are some people, including like I was reading some NFL players got it. And like for months, we're still experiencing some of the, the, the side effects of it and everything. And it, it really, really did a number of them. So anyway, our thoughts out to you, M56, hang in there, dude, write it out. And, uh, we'll look forward to having you here more often. All right, let's move on here. Next up. We've got uh, the last two UFC pay-per-views were great, right? Uh, who's your pick for Font versus Garbrandt on Saturday? I have Cody because his new coach, Mark Henry, and is it me or is MMA underappreciated in film? Uh, there's like no good MMA movies besides where I was going to say warrior is actually a pretty good one. Uh, do you recommend any MMA related movies, TV shows about the sport of MMA? Well, the best MMA thing on television is a Frank, uh, Grillo, uh, Joe Jonas or is it Joe? What's the other Jonas brother? Who's the famous Jonas? Is it Joe Jonas or is it, uh, I, I'm what's, what's, uh, you know, yeah, they have have the, the extremely hot, like, yeah, but what was not Joe Jonas? It's, uh, um, Nick Jonas. Thank you guys. Everybody in the live chat, Nick Jonas. So, uh, this show called kingdom, um, with Frank Grillo and Nick Jonas, um, it's pretty good. Actually, it, it it kind of best reflects the MMA world, I think, more than anything. Uh, so it does. Now, I didn't love, love, love the show, but it's interesting. It certainly is a pretty good representation of MMA. But I think MMA is still so new um, that, you know, you haven't had a lot of stories to tell about it yet. But I think I think more will come. I think more will come. And yes, the last two have been great. And I am also picking uh, Cody Garbrandt. Uh, no love this Saturday. All right. Next up, we've got. Uh, an anonymous viewer writes, hypothetically, how would you feel maskless and uh, and at 100% capacity in theater starting June 15th? I think that's too soon. Uh, right before F9 and Black Widow, no less. Personally, as, a, as somebody who's not a doctor, I feel like that's too soon. Um, I myself am fully vaccinated, so I don't care. But I know not everybody is vaccinated. And I think there are still going to be a lot of people who are like, Rob, I, I was talking about this yesterday. I know people um, who have started going back to the movies begrudgingly a little bit only because they have heard that, you know, they're not going to be sitting beside anybody there. There's going to be some safety protocols in place. And so they felt okay about going to the movies under those circumstances. I'm afraid going back to like a hundred percent capacity and everything in less than one month from now, I I'm afraid it would have the opposite results that they're hoping. I think it'll make more people who are a little bit nervous about going back to the theaters going, Oh hell no, no, I'm not going into that. If it's going to be packed and I'm going to have sweaty Billy Bob and sweaty Bob Billy on my left and right, you know, whatever. Again, I don't care. I feel I'm you and I are both completely vaccinated, so it doesn't matter. But I think that time is coming. I just feel like June 15th would be a little bit too soon for that. I, again, I just fear it would keep more people away from the theaters than getting more people to come. I don't know, Rob, what do you think? I look, I feel the same way that you do. And, and yeah, I'm fully vaccinated, but I, I don't have a problem wearing a mask and I, it, it's not, see, even though you're vaccinated, you can still become a carrier. 
you know, and, and you can still spread it around. And like Elizabeth's mother is, is in her seventies and Elizabeth's stepdad's in his eighties. And I don't, if you're around people that you could put at any kind of risk, uh, look what's happening in the rest of the world. Everybody wants to reopen. I get that, but I think we should do it cautiously. Why not just err on this err on the side of caution? What's yeah. wrong with doing that? I agree. I agree. All right. Next up, uh, we've got uh, not Kevin Feige writes. I could be wrong here, but I think anime characters talk like that because English dubs don't translate well when trying to sync with the Japanese characteristics, whereas Avatar is an American made show. So it didn't have that problem. So he's he's referring to uh, an anime show called My Hero Academia. And I think you're wrong about that because lots of characters and lots of anime don't talk like that. As a matter of fact, all the other characters in my hero academia don't talk like that. I, I, I was mentioning yesterday, Rob, the reason I got through the entire first season of my hero academia, I got halfway through the second season, but I just can't take the lead character. The lead character is just so fucking annoying. Uh, the way he's always talking like this. And it's always like, it's like why none of the other characters do that. All the other characters are great. And I just found when you try to watch any movie, TV show, animation, whatever, if you hate the main character, it's really hard to get into that movie or show. And I just found like there was so much about My Hero Academia I thought sounded like was really cool. I loved everything about All Might. I loved the mythology about All for One and One for All. I I loved all that kind of stuff, but I just the lead character was unbearably annoying. And I just hated the show every moment that he was on screen and talking. So I had to kind of tap out on the show, but that's just me. All right. Next up, uh, garden variety vagabond writes, Hey, John and team, AT&T stocks uh, head for the worst day in 11 months as future dividend cuts viewed as somewhat surprising. Do you believe that this is in response to the spinoff of Warner brothers versus the announcements of reorganized dividends? I think it's definitely a part of it, Rob. I think that's yep. definitely a part because listen, you got to understand if you're the market looking at AT&T, they have just had two major deals go completely belly up. They bought, I'm trying to remember the exact number, Rob, but I believe they bought DirecTV a couple of years ago. I yep. think it was for 40-something billion dollars. They bought DirecTV for like $43 billion. Just recently, they sold it for around $15 billion. They took nearly a $30 billion loss on that whole experiment with DirecTV. And then on top of that, they acquired Warner Media for $83 billion in the neighborhood of $83 billion. And they just tapped out and they sold it for $43 billion. And that's great. They got $43 billion. But they took in excess of a $40 billion loss on that. Just the DirecTV and the Warner Media, you know, exchanges, they've lost nearly a combined total of $70 billion. Dude, when <laughs> I'm- They already had massive debt before that. And they did. And when I'm trading stocks on my phone and I take a $70 loss, I'm screaming at the heavens. Why? You know, when I lose 70, they lost $70 billion. Now look, obviously AT&T felt this was a mistake. We never should have bought Warner Media. This was not a good fit for us. It's going south. We're, and 
And look, yeah, if we sell it, we have to eat it. But if we don't sell it now, we're just going to lose more money in the future. So they sold it now. But I believe, yeah, that whole, the dividends thing, definitely. But when your company announces the second major deal that they've now gone through the lifespan of, and they've lost now combined out of those two deals alone, nearly $70 billion, that's going to hurt your stock price a little bit, Rob. I don't know. Like, What's your take on that? Uh, yeah, it's going to it's gonna hurt your stock price. I mean, I have to say that, Look, man, I, 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 again, I am not the most savvy uh, person when it comes to financial matters, but I have to think that this acquisition of Warner Brothers turned out to be quite the debacle for yes, AT&T. Yes, it did. And um, um, a boondoggle, as it were. And I, I, I think that, um, you know, so quickly, as somebody put it, put it, I read somewhere, maybe it was on Deadline, that Oh yeah, Jason Killar comes in for uh, a year, gets fifty-two million dollars, and oh, then gets fired. So I think that um, this was something that, again, not a lot of people think through these things. You'd think with all the analysts out there that maybe it's like, yeah, let's go acquire an entire studio without understanding, without like a five or ten-year plan. Um, and uh, this couldn't be good. And yeah, obviously, the the in the corporate world. The biggest thing that matters is your stock price because that shows you whether you're doing a job, a good job or not. Are shareholders happy? They're either happy with you, John, or they're not. And uh, with stock prices coming down between AT&T and crypto, I'm glad I'm not in the markets this week. Let me tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, we've got, uh, again, from Garden Variety Vagabond, who writes, On Box Office Mojo, I saw a film that never released in the U.S. leads the international box office with over $820 million. The Chinese movie Hi, Mom is about a woman who goes back in time to become friends with her own mother. Have you heard anything at all about this film? No. And again, this brings up, uh, you know, Rob, maybe fair or unfair. I do not believe Chinese box office reporting at all. I, I, I just don't. It started about a year or so ago when all of a sudden these reports of these Chinese movies in China, like making unimaginable amounts of money. They got to remember the Chinese market, they get their box office reported different than almost every other market in the world. There's basically a standard operating procedure in which box office numbers get reported through a core system. I did a dedicated video on this topic once. You can go back and find that. But China does its own reporting. And I just find it... Again, I'm not saying anything definitive, Rob. I, I, but I, I would be lying to you if I didn't say that I am very, very dubious of China's box office reporting when it comes to Chinese original films only playing in China. I, I'm just very dubious of it. So that's great. They can, they can announce that their movies made $820 million. They could say it made $37 trillion. It really wouldn't make any difference to me. I don't buy it. And again, maybe I'm being naive for not believing it. Maybe I'm totally off base on this. I'm not trying to spread any kind of conspiracy theory. I'm just admitting, Rob, when I see these numbers for these Chinese movies in the Chinese box office as reported by China, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say I didn't buy it. But I, I don't know, Rob, you see these numbers and everything. What What's your thoughts on this? Well, again, I, I too am dubious. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking maybe that's in Hong Kong dollars, but uh, which is very different <laughs> than U.S. dollars. I know because I'm, you know, buying action figures in Hong Kong. It, it's, uh, it's, uh, you have to learn that exchange rate. But yeah, I mean, I, 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 I am dubious. 
uh, about just about everything that comes out of China because of the authoritarian government there. And saving face and putting on a, a good front is part of that government's um, modus operandi. So why would they, you know, they want to compete with Hollywood and say, look at our movies. They're far more profitable than yours. And this coming from a communist country. All right, brah. If that's what you say, who am I to say no? I don't believe them. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> you know, I, again, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I, and I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that's how I kind of feel about it right now. And until I see some proof that says I, I'm going to remain dubious. And, oh, I hate being that conspiracy theory guy. I really do. But it just doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, next up. Uh, Jay Wentz writes, one of two. Hey, John, I was thinking if anyone could take over the mantle of Black Panther, it would have to be John David Washington. I, I don't agree. Uh, he is a hot actor right now and could get him for cheap as he's not A-list just yet. And it would be a way for Chadwick Boseman, um, for Chadwick Boseman to pay it forward as John David Washington's father, the amazing Denzel Washington, funded Chadwick Boseman's summer classes at Oxford. I think it'd be a cool way to come full circle. What are your thoughts? Well, look. I, I say this all the time. I don't care about X actor and X role stuff because all I care about is, do you get a talented actor? Is John David Washington a gifted, talented actor? Yeah. I mean, all you got to do is watch Ballers, like the Dwayne The Rock Johnson show Ballers to see that John David Washington is a good actor. Uh, and then, of course, you know, I loved him in Tenet. Um, he just did that great one. I keep forgetting the name of it. The one he just did was Zendaya. But at, at any rate, he is a very solid actor. So I would be, if they ever did announce that they were recasting T'Challa, Rob, and they said it was going to be John David Washington, I'd be like, cool, great. But I don't think in any way, shape, or form that he's the guy to do it. Right. Like if they announced him, I'm like, great, talented actor in the role. Sounds great. But I also believe there are probably a lot of other guys that could do it. Because I'll tell you what, Rob, like when they announced... Um, Chadwick Boseman was doing it. You know, a lot of people in the comic book world were like, who? Because you know, they had never seen Get On Up or never seen um, uh, the, the Jackie Robinson one he did or or anything like that. They'd never seen those films. So I, I, I just feel like there could also be 50 of those guys that are also out there that could be fantastic for the role as well. So if they announce John David Washington... I'm enthusiastic and I give it a thumbs up. Do I think that is like definitively the guy that has to do it? No, I, I think it could be a lot of other guys too. I don't know, Rob, what do you think? You know, look, there's lots of great actors out there. Um, I've, I like John David Washington. I don't know if I see him as T'Challa though. You know, you've, you've, uh, I, I, I've loved, like, I thought he was great in black Klansman. I, I really, he was uh, so liked, good in that. Yeah. I, but like in Tenet, he was fine in Tenet, but it's he he didn't. I don't know. I mean, you there was Chad Bozeman had a very kingly quality to him. You know, I mean, there was something about him that was wise. Like he seemed almost sometimes like a man out of time. And maybe that's because he played historical figures, you know, uh, like in Get On Up. So good. But then at the same time, he brought something this quiet, regal, kingly nature to T'Challa that isn't easy to do. And you saw it uh, really in Civil War, even maybe more so than Black Panther, because he didn't have nearly as much screen time. And yet when he first comes on the screen, you just couldn't take your eyes off him. 
a, what a magnetic performer he is. And I don't know if John David Washington has that sort of ineffable quality. I don't even know what to describe it as. But you're going to need somebody that at least lives up to that. And I'm not saying he, John David Washington can't do that. No, of course not. But I haven't seen it yet. Whereas right. Chad Bozeman, man, that guy, there's a reason why I, I have his hot toy near to near and dear to me because I I really liked him in that role. And it's going to he's got he's got tall shoes to fill. All right. Next up, we've got Rick Squire who writes, John, I'm puzzled as to why San Diego Comic-Con hasn't relocated to Vegas. You and me both, buddy. Uh, doing so seems like almost too smart. Vegas has more than enough guest rooms and an atmosphere that would complement Comic-Con. Why do you think this move hasn't happened to preserve tradition? Rob, this is actually something, if you guys have watched me for any period of time, this has actually been kind of one of my little pet projects is that I really believe that San Diego Comic-Con really, it is, Rob, it is so much the preeminent Comic-Con that all you have to say is Comic-Con. And we know you're right. talking about the San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah, yeah. I have believed for a long time, while I love San Diego, I love that town. They really should move Comic-Con to Las Vegas. And honestly, they should have done it years ago. Because of all practical, every practical thing would be better in Vegas. For instance... Rob, every year that Comic-Con happens, you have to fight and get into a lottery to see if you get to be one of the lucky people to actually get a hotel room because they just do not have the hotel infrastructure to support it. So more people than not have to stay in hotels or motels that are at least a good 20, 30 more minutes away and have to take these bus shuttles to come in and out. And even then, because all the hotel rooms are now booked, the hotel rooms are roughly five times more expensive than they are during any other time of the year. It's preposterous. In Las Vegas, they can have CES, which is a bigger convention than Comic-Con, the annual Consumer Electronics Show, CES, which is about twice the size of Comic-Con. I have gone to Vegas during CES. Vegas doesn't even blink. It's like, oh yeah, we still got all of our hotel rooms. We still have thousands of hotel rooms and the prices don't go up on the rooms. It's easy to get a hotel wherever you want to get a hotel in town. Not to mention, you time to eat at Comic-Con? Good luck. If you want to go to a restaurant you actually like, you got to go somewhere, hope there's not an hour-long wait to get in to eat something in Vegas, everywhere. Restaurants, 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 restaurants. You want to try to get around San Diego during Comic-Con, Rob? Good luck. Especially if you want to try to get anywhere around downtown. Cabs don't like cabs can't even take you to the convention center now. They just kind of take you to within about a 10-minute walk of the convention center, drop you off there, and then you got to hoof it. In Vegas, whatever. the Robbie, even just the convention center. Everywhere in the convention center, your shoulder to shoulder, all this kind of stuff. In Vegas, their convention center is triple the size of the San Diego convention center. They literally have triple the square footage as that of San Diego. It's, it's just from hotels, accessibility. There is a tradition about being in San Diego and I love San Diego. I love going there. My wife and I go there two or three times a year just to hang out there for the weekends. But from a practical point of view, Rob, everything about moving San Diego Comic-Con to Vegas is better 
on a practical, objective level than it would be in San Diego. Uh, there's other things. The weather is great in San Diego. Um, that you know, you're you're at the ocean in San Diego. There's so many cool things about it. But I I really have thought for a long time, Rob, they should move this thing to Vegas. I know where I know you and I have discussed this before. But what's your thinking on that right now? All of the points that you brought up are valid. However, <laughs> the problem with Vegas, like if they have a convention where CES is. You still, it's very hard to walk anywhere. I mean, the blocks in Vegas are long and huge. And it's in the middle of the summer, if they have it in the middle of the summer. So you're dealing with perhaps 120 degree dry heat. And uh, there is a lot, everything you said is great. But I think part of what makes San Diego, San Diego is in fact, the whole life around there. You know, the gas lamp and the ocean and the air. And look, everything else you said though is right. It's, it's become overcrowded. It's, it's too packed. Uh, it's no longer, I mean, 20 years ago, I've been going to Comic-Con for over 30 years now. You could drift in and out of whatever panels that you wanted to see. You know, it was, it was totally enjoyable. And now everything is a chore. If I want to go see some television writers talk, every single panel is packed. And if you don't get in on it, as soon as it opens or wait in line, you're not going to get in on it. And, um, it's a bummer. So I don't know if you move it to Las Vegas, I think the character of the convention would be gone, but on the other hand, it would alleviate a lot of the problems that have made Comic-Con so not, not enjoyable over at least the last decade. Uh, one of the funniest statistics I always hear out of Comic-Con every year, I always look this up, because you got nerds, all the nerds who, you know, live with their significant others or in their mama's basements or whatever, all of us nerds uh, now get with our own hotel rooms in San Diego. Uh, last, the last Comic-Con, uh, the 2019 San Diego Comic-Con, they said the prostitution, um, uh, what's, what's the word population? The prostitution population in Comic-Con in San Diego went up by 2,300% during the week of Comic-Con. They say they say prostitutes from all over the world have to fly into Comic-Con. They say there are thousands and thousands in the city during that, and then they turn around and go home. In Las Vegas, they're all already there. You don't have to worry about it. See, Rob, well, another dude, logistical thing. You know, John, when you go to Comic-Con and you bring your hot toys money with you, you some people <laughs> want a real hot toy. Ah, uh -huh, there you go. Sorry. You know I never – that reminds me of like, I never buy anything on the floor. Every year I go to Comic-Con with a wad of cash thinking, I'm going to buy some stuff there. And I never do. I went to the hot toy display where they had like Captain America from Endgame with the broken shield. And I'm like, I'll, yeah. I will buy this. And they're like, oh, no, you can only pre-order it. I'm like, why the F do you have it sitting here on display? I got money right now. I will give you $400 right now to have this Captain America thing. Like, nope. Ah, I can't do you that. Know you know, I, I agree with you. I used to like 15 years ago, I would save up money. Like over the course of the year, I'd put money away, like every paycheck or every month or whatever. And, you know, walk down with like 10 grand in cash. I'd never spend that much money, but I would have, you know, sometimes <laughs> I'd spend a couple thousand dollars on stuff. But now like you, I don't, all of the things that I am interested in buying I don't buy at Comic-Con anymore. The, the, what, what's good to buy at Comic-Con is if you can get like a one-of-a-kind artist's print or you can go buy artwork that you can't 
get anywhere else or something or a Comic-Con exclusive. But like you said, most of the stuff I buy, whether it's an action figure, a Hot Toys figure or something, you do it online and pay for it over time and advance sales. I mean, that's the whole point. You want to buy it then and there. You don't want to wait. You know, so my wait. buying habits, of, I don't buy, I hardly, I hardly spend any money on the, on the floor at Comic-Con anymore. Yeah. But I want you every year I go intending to buy a lot of stuff. Anyway, next up, Sergeant Ward writes, Hey John, since MGM is at Amazon now, well, no, the, the word is Amazon is putting together an offer to get MGM. It's not done yet. It may not happen. I mean, it looks like that's what's going to happen, but it still may not. So just keep that in mind. Anyway, since MGM is at uh, Amazon now, does that mean that their movies like No Time to Die or House of Gucci is going to get put on Prime Video? I hope not because uh, they're both movies I want to see in theaters. Uh, do you see this happening? No, because uh, Jeff Bezos and the entertainment wing over at Amazon have always said they are they very much believe in the theatrical window because they make money off it. And then, Rob, you've often talked about this, that just getting a theatrical release is probably the best piece of marketing your movie can get. Because yes. when you see a VOD movie on your TV screen in the menuing system that you've never heard of before, you're likely to skip over it. But if you know, if it played in theaters and you like come across it, it catches your attention a little bit more. Amazon really, they did that. Um, they used that approach with their movie, The Big Sick. You know, they produced this movie, The Big Sick, with Camille Nagiani and Ray Romano, and they decided it gets a traditional theatrical release first. And then, according to them, it did way better once it hit Amazon Prime because it had a theatrical release. So they benefited from hundreds of millions in box office from the movie, and then they benefited again from its notoriety in the box office translate over there. So, no, I actually expect that if Amazon starts to produce more theatrical films with an MGM branch or whatever, and I think mostly they're buying MGM Rob for the library content, but if they do get more involved in more live production, I think out of all the streaming services, they're the ones more likely to make sure their movies continuously get theatrical runs because they see the advantages of it. Rob, how do you think Amazon's going to approach it? Look, I think if you're buying MGM and you, you have this, world-renowned brand they've already they've got amazon studios but you know uh, amazon studios it's not it's not nearly as sexy as that lion roaring in the front of your movie let me tell you <laughs> and i and i think they would be foolish not to put out that put out movies theatrically mgm films i mean it it amazon's fine and branding is fine across all that but there's no reason why they can't say Put that MGM line and then underneath as they do an, an Amazon company. There's nothing wrong with that. And I, I think that it would be it would benefit them. You know, MGM has kind of been a studio that's been all over the place over the last 30 years. And it would be nice to see it, to uh, coin a phrase, come roaring back and be a major player uh, in the theatrical released film landscape. Because I do think that MGM would add a little bit of prestige. Of course, they, it, it, MGM as a brand needs some rehabilitation. And Amazon, I think, needs a little something. I mean, I mean, Amazon's great, but we're tired of hearing Amazon. I order, you know, everything from Amazon, from groceries to books to my physical media to electronics, whatever. I, you know, Amazon Studios, if I go to a movie theater, I want to I feel like I'm watching a real movie. And the roar of that lion, John, 
You know, 2001 was an MGM movie, and whenever I see it, it reminds me of the glory days. Well, think about this. Disney bought Pixar. There's still Pixar. You know, Disney bought Marvel. This still got the Marvel thing come up. I believe for their Fox films, they even still had the the 20th century uh, thing come up. So I don't see there being any reason why Amazon, theoretically, if this deal does go through, couldn't still have MGM exist as as a production arm. Of the company. I think we'll still see that line because I, I agree. I think that that symbolism is really important. All right. Next up, Aventium writes, one of three, Sharon's thoughts. I've been shot. Each breath I draw is agony, but I can't rest. I must act fast because now it's my friend's turn staring down the barrel of a gun. I'm not quite sure what this is from. For his sake, I struggle to my feet for every moment, uh, sending fire down my nerves. I raise my own gun and take aim at the assailant doing so stresses my wound and the pain is unbearable, but my friend's life is at stake through gritted teeth and tears in my eyes. I squeeze the trigger. My aim is sure the assailant is down. Uh, I collapse in pain, but he's safe. He'll get me to the medical. He'll get me the medical aid. I desperately need, huh? He's headed towards Carly. Oh, Sharon Carter. This is Sharon Carter thinking this, huh? He's headed to Carly instead, probably just to make sure she's neutralized. Oh, now he's picking her up and he's walking off with her in his arms. What the fuck, Sam? You know what? True. There's his friend Sharon Carter shot. Oh, but the international terrorist, let me go and hold her in my arms. It says my friend lays over there bleeding. I, uh, I never thought of that, Rob. That is actually pretty messed up. <laughs> that's that's pretty messed up what Sam did there. I hadn't even thought about that. I'll have to go back and check that out again. Very well put, Aventium. Very well put. All right, next up. Willow writes, uh, I've just recently learned that the D in Mads Mickelson's name is apparently silent. Uh, so his name is actually pronounced Mass. Mass. Uh, did you know that? I don't know. Every time I've heard Mickelson's name mentioned in news reports or in what or in interviews or stories, Rob. I've only ever heard it pronounced Mads. So I don't know. I, I mean, that could be true. That could totally be true. Have you heard anything about that, about the pronunciation of his name? Uh, no, but I understand. I mean, it makes sense to me that his name is actually pronounced Mass because he is, after all, godlike. Ah, ha, 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 ha. There you go. There you go. Uh, all right. Next up. Thanks for that, Willow. Next up, old Danny boy writes, commenting about Rob's F9 reaction. I feel that good movies have characters that make things happen and bad movies have characters that just have things happen to them. An oversimplification for sure, but the latter seems easier and more lazy. Um, I've never heard it put like that, but that's not a bad thing to say. Good movies have characters that make things happen and bad movies have characters that just have things happen to them. I mean... That I can think of some situations, Rob, where that's probably accurate, but I can also think of some where it's not necessarily the case. Like right. it all depends on the avenue that the storyteller is trying to tell their story. Because some some movies are told from the the point of view of the bystander, the, a character who is actually a bystander in the events, but it's told through their point of view. I mean, yeah. you could make an argument that the the story of Bilbo Baggins. And the Hobbit is really one of a guy that just a lot of things happen to him. And he's, I mean, of course he does, he is proactive as well, but so I, I like, I like what old Danny boy is saying. I think that's a good rule of thumb to have in mind. If you're a writer, good movies are ones where characters make things happen. Bad movies are ones where characters have things happen to them. 
But I don't think that's a hard and fast rule because I do think there's a lot of stuff. Around. I don't know, Rob, as a writer and a producer yourself, what do you think about that kind of uh, barometer? Well, I mean, I, I think that that um, I think that's probably pretty true. I mean, obviously, you want some kind of uh, in screenwriting terms. Well, what's your inciting incident that forces the character into action? So something's got to happen to to send our character, our main character off on whatever journey of self-discovery or revelations or whatever the character is going to do. But but I do think that, you know, stories that have people who are going are setting out to do something are inherently more interesting and 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 then they get themselves in the middle of whatever problems happen. So I think it's in a way it's almost a combination of things because you know it's always great when a character sets out on I'm going to do this and then everything goes wrong and the character then has to so so the character sets out to do something then all this stuff happens to them and then it's how do they how do their actions either get them out of this problem or lead to their ultimate doom? So I, I, I don't necessarily think it's necessarily one or the other, but a combination of, of that. I but like I, that. I agree that one of the things about fast nine, John, it just kind of went places and did a bunch of stuff and <laughs> you know, it was odd, but we can't, we can't talk much about fast nine. We no. can't talk much about fast nine right now until the, the, the uh, embargo lifts. All right, next up. Uh, we've got Film Lovin' Bro, who writes, Hey, John, very sad to hear the great Charles Grodin has passed, a comedic genius of the deadpan and sardonic and a very underrated dramatic actor to boot. His chemistry with Miss Piggy and the great Muppet caper uh, gave good cause for Kermit to be jealous. And again, like I said earlier, it's so weird when you think about all the things that he did that I think of this very small, basically guest role he did on Soy Married and Axe Murder that just killed me and does to this day whenever I see it. But yeah, the passing of a, of a truly great star. All right, thanks for that, Film Love and Bro. All right, next up, Great Grabthar's Hammer writes, Speaking of pre-show ads, here's something cinemas can take from stage and theater. When I took my family to see Frozen the Musical, tickets show the time for doors opening and the actual start time of the show. This info could easily be added to movie tickets. Rob, I've been saying that same thing for a while because, you know, I, I've, I've complained for almost 15 years now about how long of a pre-show there is to the movie starting. You know, when we start getting into... 20, 25, 30 minutes of commercials, including trailers, before a movie starts. One thing they could do to fix this, at least to a degree, is say, okay, officially showtime is 7 o'clock. Movie starts at 7.29. Yeah. If you at least were are transparent about that, that mitigates the awfulness of it a little bit. So I personally think it's something they should do. But I don't know, Rob, do you think that fixes the problem if they just did a little step like that? Uh, well, you know, I don't, maybe, you know, maybe it does. I, I just, I just think, look, movie theaters are making money by showing ads and I, I totally understand why they do it. And I do think that, you know, if they gave you a movie start time, then people would just show up at the movie start time and they wouldn't see the ads. Um, so I don't, I don't know what the solution is. Maybe that's a solution for us. But, you know, they still have to make if they have no viewership to watch these ads, then people are going to say, well, why should we pay for them if no one's showing up until the trailers begin or the movie begins itself? So it's I think it's a double edged sword. But you're right. I think the problem is 
they're they're diminishing the experience with 30 minutes of commercials and trailers. Even I, as much as I love trailers, you can see too many trailers. I mean, it gets to the point. I get trailer fatigue after three or four trailers. I'm like, I don't need start the movie already. Yeah, totally. Agree. I don't want my experience diluted, you know. And that's obviously a topic we've talked about a lot and we will go on talking about probably forever. All right. The next up, we've got Patrick Conway who writes, I have to recommend Kaka Mills. It's a 20 minute short film about a stressed out woman sharing a seat on a train with a blind man. It stars Brendan Gleeson. I love Brendan Gleeson. Uh, it's Irish. There are subtitles and the whole thing's on YouTube. So Brendan Gleeson, Rob, first of all, he was uh, Hamish in, um, in Braveheart. You know, uh, Mel, Mel Gibson's best friend, Amish in that. Uh, he was in, what's the one he did with Colin Farrell? Um, oh, it's like one of Colin Farrell's best movies, and I'm freezing on the title of it. But Brendan Gleeson does that one with him. Uh, he's, of course, in the Pat in Paddington 2. He's so good in Paddington 2. And uh, General Hux. He is General Hux's dad. Uh, Donald Gleeson from that. Brendan Gleeson is actually Donald Gleeson's thing. Oh, by the way, uh, Imran mentions in Bruges. Thank you. That was the name of the Colin Farrell. Uh, Brennan Gleason will in Bruges love in Bruges. In Bruges is so good. Thank you, Paul and Joe and Michael also threw in in Bruges in the live chat. Um, this dude is just awesome. Now I have not heard of this short film, but just hearing that he's in it makes me want to see it. So thanks for putting that on our radar, Patrick. I appreciate that, man. All right. Next up, Raymond Verada writes, uh, the trailer for Dear Evan Hansen, which we talked about earlier, I just love it, uh, just dropped. I know that you and Scott Mance are, are movie musical fans. The songs are emotional, and I foresee a lot of grown-up ugly cries at the screening. What are your thoughts? Yeah, we talked about it earlier in the show. I loved this trailer. See, I've never seen the live stage show. I don't know anything about the live stage show. So I watched this trailer as clean as possible, and I fell in love with it. I just thought it looked fantastic. And I didn't even realize it was a musical till the end of the trailer. Like when you get to the end of the trailer and the kid's on the on the stage there and he starts singing out the lines, I'm like, oh, I, I guess this is a musical. I thought that was weird that they were like hiding that. Uh, yeah, you know? I... I mean, we got we got, you know, in the uh, the in the heights is coming out. That's supposed to be fantastic. We got West Side Story coming out. Now we've got Dear Evan Hansen coming out. Maybe 2021 is going to wind up being the year that re-energizes the musical, John. Yeah. Speaking of Moulin Rouge. Speaking of Moulin Rouge. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Brandon who writes. Hey, John, at last, Superman and Lois has finally returned. I haven't seen the new episode yet. I'm going to watch it today. Uh, Superman and Lois has finally returned in a grand way. Last night's episode was probably my favorite episode so far. Great character work, plot development, and nice surprises throughout. Again, I haven't seen the newest episode yet. I have been thoroughly entertained and impressed with this new Superman and Lois show. And I hated this incarnation of Superman. And But whatever whatever change of writers or whatever they've done, this has been very, very enjoyable, and I've liked it a lot so far, and I'm looking forward to seeing the new episode tonight because it's been a while since we've had a new episode. All right, Playmaker writes, Hey, John, I know you didn't really enjoy My Hero Academia, but have you checked out the anime GOAT? In my opinion, uh, Naruto. Uh, if so, what did you think about it? I believe, let me just bring it up here. If I'm thinking of the right, right one, uh, if I'm thinking of the right one, then I have. And no, I'm not thinking of the right one. Uh, no, I haven't watched. I haven't watched this. Rob, are you familiar with it? No. Yeah. Um, I've never even heard of, of that, but that's, you know, that's not surprising. I, I, I mean, I'm a little behind on my, on my anime and stuff like that. And I'm so old school. I'm like 
bring on Gundam Hathaway. And I'm like, yeah, but all this stuff, I'm like, I what? I don't know. But I want to find out. All right. Next up, uh, we have Ryan Lohner, who writes, Rumors are going around that Mara Jade is showing up in a Star Wars show played by Brie Larson. It's probably fake, but I really love the image of Kathleen Kennedy saying, so the toxic man babies want Mara, huh? Well, here you go. <laughs> it sounds like something he, he would do. I, again, I, I have not heard that from any legitimate news source, so I'm not going to waste any breath talking about it much. Uh, if it becomes a real story, it'll be reported in the, in the actual news outlets. Uh, until that time, not going to worry about it. Not going to worry about it at all. All I know is that it would be very interesting if they decided to do Mara Jade. It would, I mean, obviously, if they did Mara Jade, it's not going to be the Mara Jade people know from the books because they've, I mean, the history does not line up now. It won't be the same Mara Jade story that all the people are familiar with. So there's that. Uh, Brie Larson is an Academy Award winning actress. She's awesome. So she wants to be in a Star Wars film. Do that. By the way, Rob, did you see, she's been posting her workout videos for Captain Marvel 2, the Marvels. Have you seen any of those? Yes. Holy crap. Uh, dude. <laughs> like, holy. The one where she's like doing suspension off the ground with the chains over her legs and she's having to change positions. I'm like, you have no idea how difficult that is. I, 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 I feel inadequate as a man <laughs> it, watching this. Woo! It is some crazy guys. You should go look it up if you want to. If you want to feel emasculated a little bit, go watch Brie Larson doing some of these workout videos. It's pretty damn impressive. All right, uh, let's see. Next up, Ryan G writes. Hey, John, and oh my God, I watched the Dear Evan Hansen trailer, and it was great. Just when I saw the play in Toronto with my uncle, uh, it uh, it also it, his probably meant is great. It also is great. Uh, this movie adaptation is going to be in. Uh, one of the best movies of the year for me. Love tweet about it, John. Oh, you love my tweet about it? Yeah, because I did tweet about it. After I watched uh, the trailer, I did jump on Twitter and put out a tweet about it. I, I absolutely loved it. And yeah, it look, we have all seen many, many great trailers for terrible movies. And I don't know if Dear Evan uh, is going to be a terrible movie or a great movie. I just know that the trailer has done its job and convincing me it looks really good and it looks like the kind of movie that you know i just love watching people who can tell those types of stories that are meaningful and deep and and can make an impact on you and uh, i'm just dying to see it ryan i'm dying to see it all right next up chuck the mystery writes hey john and rob uh one of two wanted to get your opinion on four films that i recently we watched well we're not going to sit here and do reviews of four different movies but uh that i personally love but find to be highly underrated a uh, number one city by the sea with denier i i do like that one uh the great francis mcdormand and james uh, um uh, the great francis mcdormand and james franco two uh noble son with the late uh alan rickman I'm not, I did not watch that one. Uh, three, cha Changing Lanes with Ben Affleck and Samuel Jackson. I talk about Changing Lanes all the time. I love uh, Changing Lanes. Um, two Lovers with Joaquin Phoenix and Gwyneth Paltrow. Again, I can't recall ever hearing you talk about these and always curious to know your thoughts on films. Thanks. Rob, I tell you what, like, first of all, a couple of those are really good. The one to me, I remember when they announced that Ben Affleck was going to be Batman. And everybody on the planet jumped on the hate bandwagon about the casting. And like, I was one of the few people going, uh-uh, this is genius. 
This is great casting. He's going to be a great Batman. One of the things that I often went back to is like, guys, listen, I know Geely, and I know there have been these really terrible movies, but go and watch Changing Lanes. That's the one I would always go back to. It's like, besides going back and, and watching the one he did with Matt Damon, go back and watch Changing Lanes, the one he did with Samuel Jackson. It is a really great movie about what, about something that literally can happen to any of us because of the way we kind of respond to things and handle things. It was social commentary. It was personal commentary. It was all this kind of stuff, but it's a powerful little film. And I thought Affleck was amazing in it. So out of all those ones that Chuck, the mystery has just, has just mentioned, that's the one to me that stands out most. Rob, do any of those films that he mentioned stand out to you? Well, I have to say, <laughs> I love two lovers, <laughs> which is, <laughs> it's kind of a melodramatic movie stars, Joaquin Phoenix and Gwyneth Paltrow. And this, this character is kind of suicidal and it's kind of a melodrama. It takes place in New York, like Brighton beach. Um, I, I own it. <laughs> I have the Blu-ray of it. And, uh, I, I, and James Gray, you know, who's directed a lot of different kinds of movies made this film. And I don't know what about it attracts me to it so much, but I don't hear many people talk about that movie. And I, I, I have a great affection for it, although I can't explain it. <laughs> All right. Next up, we've got uh, Nerdy uh, Scout writes. Do you think it's a coincidence that Marvel and DC both had their first Civil War movies in the same year, 2016, and now their multi uh, their multiverse movies uh, the same year again, 2020? Yes, I do think it's coincidence. I mean, back, listen, Civil War was a comic storyline that had been around for a very long time. And we knew that they were building up to that. Batman versus Superman, Rob, was something that people have been talking about and clamoring about, like not only because of what we got in The Dark Knight with Batman and Superman going at it, but also uh, the Will Ferrell zombie movie, I Am Legend. Like even all the way back in that movie, they kind of, because as he's walking through the streets, the big billboard is Batman versus Superman coming to theaters, right? And this is long before because it's the one that everybody knew needed to happen. We all know, we knew for the longest time that we needed Batman versus Superman. Civil War was always going to be on the books. So the fact that they, that this sort of happened around about the same time, it was completely coincidental. It, it completely was. Both comic Tyler's, so Rob, they are also do multiverse stuff. They've, they all do it. And at some point, you know, with all the stuff that they're trying to do, you knew they were both going to go in those directions. I think it's the wrong direction. I think multiverse is a lazy ass thing for them to do, but it is what they're doing. Um, but so again, though, I just think it's the natural progression for both. I think it was just the natural progression for both. And I think they're going to close them off fairly quickly too. But I don't know, Rob, what are your thoughts on that? Coincidence? I feel design. Uh, what yeah, do you think? I think it's kind of coincidence. And like you said, it's, it's, it becomes the way to go. It's not like we haven't seen multiverse stories already on the CW and all both of these comic book universes have that. Now it's gotten to the point where people want to see the different Batmans interact. I mean, I grew up loving the Justice League of America comics and every year they had a multiverse crossover where the Justice League would team up with the Justice Society. And then when they would fight the crime syndicate from Earth three, I was in heaven. Right. So. <clears throat> That was and that was from the time. I mean, multiverse stories are as as uh, the way apple pie is to America. Multiverse stories are to comic book universes. So it's not surprising to me. 
All right. Next up, we've got Caleb who writes two questions about the Warner Media and Discovery deal. One, uh, does this does this undo the Crunchyroll sale to Sony in any way, or is that done? That's a done deal. Uh, so no, it doesn't affect uh, in any way the Crunchyroll sale. Um, two. Over under 35%, March Madness and some NBA streams exclusively on Warner Max, uh, working title, by fall of 2022. Writes already at TNT and TBS. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think they're going to keep TNT and TBS as separate things. I think they're going to allow those to continue to operate and function. They're still going to be there. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see if HBO or Warner Max, that's a good name for it. In renaming HBO Max to Warner Max or something like that, but whatever their main streaming service is, I would not be surprised at all to see them getting into some sports as well. Right. Uh, it's all about exclusive content. Sporting is very, very highly viewed content. Every year, the number one viewed thing in the world is the Super Bowl. Um, so I could see that, but I still think TNT and TBS. So I'll go over 35% that we see at least some of those sports on uh, the streaming service. Rob, what do you think? Over, under 35%. Probably over. Yeah. I think over. Um, all right, Rob, we have uh, taken you to your time. Thank you so much for being here, dude. Where can people follow you in the meantime, though? Well, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work or on YouTube, listening to that new Duran Duran signal over and over and over again today. All right, Rob, thanks a lot for being here. We'll talk to you again later, man. Have a good one. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. But listen, guys, we still have about 25 minutes here, so let's keep on going through your live questions. Next up, we've got Caleb who writes, also, a slight correction regarding the Amazon buying MGM. MGM has the home video rights to all existing Bond films, uh, so Prime can be the home to those. But the Broccoli family still owns the rights to the future films. Yes, they do. Uh, characters, books, etc. So no Amazon series for now. I believe we pointed that out. I believe we said that the other day. Anyway, uh, but regarding the Broccoli family selling, uh, John, I know you said it won't happen. Uh, but if it does, at what price... And who's interested? Over over under $4.1 billion, the same Lucasfilm price. Rob, you said it might happen after No Time to Die. Do you still believe uh, that? And plus, at what price? Yeah, this has been a discussion Rob and I have been having for a little while now. It's about what will the Broccoli family, who own the rights to James Bond, to make James Bond movies? What will happen with them? Like, Will they sell Rob? is convinced that the Broccoli's right now feel that the James Bond franchise is probably worth as much as it's ever going to be worth, and you could sell it for billions of dollars, and they're going to sell it. I think, and only think, like I don't, I'm not strongly married to this opinion, but I think that the Broccoli's, whenever you hear them talking about it, I believe they love being the owners of James Bond. And I believe that ownership of James Bond is something they want to pass down through their family. I don't think they want to part with it. Rob thinks they do. I think they don't. If it were to sell, let's put it this way. What would this thing be worth now that we live in the era of the streaming wars where everybody is jockeying to get prime premium exclusive uh, content and IP? When you consider that Netflix just spent $400 
and $86 million just for the rights to show Knives Out 2 and Knives Out 3. Just those two films. What does owning, if the Broccoli's were going to sell the rights to James Bond, what would that be worth today with a raging streaming wars going on? I think you're right. I think four to five billion dollars is what it could go for. I, I really think they could get for it. I think a whether it's an Amazon or Peacock or HBO or whatever, I think every single streaming service and and studio, including Paramount and Sony and what have you, I think they would all be lining up to get that as your exclusive IP. That'd be worth a lot. Like, I can only imagine, what would Star Wars sell for if it was being sold today during the streaming wars? $13 billion? $15 billion? At any rate. But yeah, I think Bond itself could probably fetch somewhere between four to five, but I think it's uh, it's irrelevant because I don't think the Broccoli family wants to sell. I don't think they want to sell. I think they want to own this and pass it down through their family. But who knows? We'll see where it goes. All right, next up. More money, more problems rights. Hey, John, yesterday was my 35th birthday. Happy birthday to you, my friend. Uh, my friends and family surprised uh, with the most amazing gift a man child could ask for. They rented out a theater at my local AMC to play my favorite movie, Back to the Future. Dude, that's a good birthday. And that is a good family right there. That is a good family. That is a great... And the fact that they were able to organize that and surprise you with it, that is amazing. So congrats, man. All right, part two. A few things in life can match the level of heaviness that comes with enjoying a movie you love with people you love. Uh, Shout out to my quarantine crew, OG family and cousins for making me feel the power of love. Keep doing your thing, man. Love your show. Dude, listen, seriously, whenever... Look, I will go to the movie theaters by myself. Totally. I, I love going to the movies and experiencing a movie. But when there's a big movie coming out, I want to go with friends and family. I want to be with, because I want to share those experiences. You know, that's why when we went to go watch Fast 9 the other day, it was great because I got to go with my wife, got to bring my friends along, Rob, my friend Cliff, and we got to go and got to watch. You're right. There is something really special when you get to watch movies you love with people you love. It's a really cool thing. So it sounds like they give you a great birthday, man. Congrats on that. And again, happy birthday to you. May you have a great year ahead of yourself, Mo. All right. Next up, Uh, Barbara Errico writes, hey, John. I just want to say that I really like the show and to be extra nice to Rob, I see he stays up very late working hard, so he might be a bit tired from time to time. Be safe and keep up the good work. We surely need it after such a tough year. Yeah, it's true. Rob does. Rob's a night owl, right? Like he like will work late at night. That's when he's comfortable working. And so I will often wake up. Now, I got to get up at like five and sometimes six in the morning. So when midnight hits, I'm in bed, (laughs) like I'm in bed because I got to get up early. But I will often wake up to like text messages or emails from Rob that he sent at like one thirty or two in the morning. And I'm like, dude, how are you? Uh." Now, he doesn't have to get up as early as I do. But yes, he does work. He does work quite late in the evening, Barbara. Thanks for writing that in. All right. Next up. Uh, Kinsley major who tips in like $20. Thank you, Kinsley, for supporting our channel on that level, man. Uh, John, I've been attending the school of Campia for many years. I've learned so much, but every now, uh, but every now 
and then I forget your teachings. For instance, I had forgotten that Shrek was celebrating its 20th anniversary. Now I know it's no Toy Story, but it was but it was damn a damn good time. There was an article released yesterday reviewing Shrek and they roasted it. I felt myself legit getting mad while reading the review. Why are we comparing Shrek against Spider-Man Spider-Verse? I kept reminding myself it's one guy's opinion. So who cares? John, why do other opinions make us so frustrated? Why do do you think we will ever get to a point where we can accept another person's opinion without feeling attacked? Maybe too big of a question for us. Just wanted to get that off my chest. Cheers. Well, thanks a lot for writing that in, K-Major. And uh, yeah, Shrek, I love Shrek. By the way, Shrek 2 um, is one of my favorite animated films ever. Like, I think Shrek 2 is easily the best of the Shrek films. I love Shrek 2. Anyway, why do people, why do we, particularly as film fans, get so personally angry when other people don't like something that we do? that that's something that we like and somebody else doesn't like it. I mean, you see it all the time online. Like, like, honestly, I can get on and say, uh, you know, I, I didn't like this movie. And before you know it, I've got a bunch of other YouTube channels making videos about why John Campy is so stupid for not liking this movie. Right? Like they, because here's the thing. We are so insecure as people that, When we have an opinion about something, we see that opinion, and let's specifically talk about movies. With that opinion that we have of a movie, we identify with our individuality and who we are. And therefore, when somebody comes out and says they don't like a movie that you like, We take them as not just attacking the movie. They are attacking us. That's insulting. You said that movie's crap. That's insulting. Why is it insulting? It's not your movie. You didn't make it. But I love this movie. And you see it all the time, right? And everybody does it. Let's not pretend it's only one group of people that does this. Everybody does this. So we get, we form an opinion about something. And then we identify ourselves with that opinion And that's why you get all these loser DC zombie fanboys and Marvel zombie fanboys. Because it's like, oh, I love this. So I now identify with that. And me loving that thing is a part of who and what I am. Therefore, if somebody else comes along and says they don't like that thing, they're actually saying they don't like something that's a part of me. And it's a totally ridiculous way to think. But we've all done it. And we all do it. So... You just got to get to the point where you understand that your appreciation of something is not a part of who you are. And if other people attack that thing, they're not attacking you. That's why when a lot of people will say to me, you know what? Star Wars is overrated. I go, well, I don't think so. But I mean, I wish you loved it, but you don't. And that's okay. You know, you just got to get to the point where you separate your appreciation or lack of appreciation for a piece of art. You got to separate that from the totality of who you are as a person. And you just got to learn that when somebody then critiques something that you like, they're not critiquing you. And I remember I had to have this discussion with this fan once on Twitter. This is years ago, right? Say, why do you keep attacking the prequels? I don't attack the prequels. Do you have seen me making any videos about the Star Wars prequels? No. But if somebody asks me about it, 
I am obligated to give my honest opinion. And so I'll give my honest opinion. I think the prequels suck. But then I get that ruffles some people just the wrong way. How dare you? I love those movies. So how dare you say something bad about them? You're attacking me. And I remember having to talk to this one. Again, this was years ago. But having this discussion about, listen, no, I think you're totally valuable as a person, but I disagree with you about the quality of these movies, just as I'm sure there are movies that I love that you think probably suck, but I know you're not attacking me. You're just giving your own opinion on a movie. But we as movie fans, man, we take our opinions of movies and we bring them so close to our heart that we make it a part of who we are. And then we mistakenly interpret somebody criticizing that movie as them directly criticizing us because we like that movie. And you see this play out every single day online. This plays out every single day online, right? Every single day. We see it all the time. You didn't like the thing that we like? Well, then you're just this. And they make up excuses. It's it's one of the most infuriating things about fandom that we do. But it's something we need to identify and, and merge and uh, purge out of our uh, out of our fandom. All right, next up. Uh, Great Grabthar's Hammer writes, John, I just made a peanut butter, butter, and mayo sandwich, and I shit you not, it's not that bad. It's not the best thing I've ever had, but it goes down pretty pleasantly. I might just make another one. Again, this, this, this the story is, when I was a kid, and I came home from school for lunch period because I lived close to my school. Uh, one day I just realized there wasn't much around and we had peanut butter, butter, bread, and we had some mayo. Well, I like mayo. I like peanut butter. I like butter. So just one day I made it all into one sandwich. And for like a while as a kid, that's what I would have for lunch every day. I just really like peanut butter, butter, and mayonnaise sandwiches. Now, I have not had that in a very long time. I don't know if I would find it repulsive now or if I would still think it's the greatest thing in the world. But you know what? You've inspired me, Great Grabthar's Hammer. I am going to make myself a peanut butter, butter, and mayonnaise sandwich sometime in the next two days, and we'll see how that goes. All right, thanks for that. Uh, Lakers will lose tonight, writes. In my opinion, I think Warner Brother delays Dune into 2022 for two reasons. First, it has a terrible release date. It's in between Venom 2 and Bond. Uh, Second, uh, some people won't, won't potentially get mad at Warner Brothers for promising all their movies in 2021 films on HBO. Either way, I'm seeing Dune uh, in theaters. I don't care. Oh, yeah. Dune, seeing Dune in theaters is the only way to say that movie. Like, I, I don't care. Like, you may have some circumstances that prevent that from being practical for you. That's totally understandable, you know. You may very well have some circumstances, whether at the distance of theaters to you or certain family situations, whatever. For some people, going to see Dune in theaters is just not going to be practically possible. Totally cool. Nothing wrong with that. But barring that, if you're a movie fan, you're going to see Dune in theaters. That's where like a spectacle like that has got to be seen on the big screen. Um, and I think, yeah, that's that's the way to go. And I'm sorry. Now, I don't think they're going to move it to 2022. Um, I like the idea if it meant giving it an exclusive theatrical release, but honestly, I think the release date is fine. I think being between those two films is perfectly fine. I think there'll be, there won't be an issue with that. I think getting that out in theaters in 2021, but you never know. They might budget, but I agree with you, man. The way to see this movie is going to be on the big screen. All right, next up. 
An anonymous viewer writes, John and Rob just missed Rob, unfortunately. Love the show and thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I like to recommend two animated shows for you and the viewers. First is BoJack Horseman on Netflix. A lot of people talk BoJack Horseman on here. Uh, all six seasons is there. Second is Final Space. First two seasons on HBO Max. Both shows will not disappoint. I got to admit, I did give BoJack Horseman a try. Just wasn't for me. I didn't think it was particularly bad. Don't get me wrong. Don't misinterpret me. I didn't think it was bad. But, you know, certain shows, even great ones, may not just, just might not connect with you. And I saw what BoJack Horseman was going for. It's a very different kind of animated series, but it just wasn't clicking with me. You know, it just didn't work for me, so I kind of moved on past it. I've heard some decent things about Final Space. I've never watched a single thing of it myself, but I may have to at some point. Thanks for putting that on the radar, man. appreciate that. All right, next up, Jesse writes, I still, it still bewilders me uh, that the service wasn't called Warner Max. Yeah, yeah, HP, it was a bad title from the start. I can't, I can even picture the logo with my, uh, in my head of the Warner Brothers badge put inside of a Warner, put inside of WB. It's a Warner Media where the M in the logo is a flip version of the W. It's that easy, guys. Again, it, them naming, the the service HBO Max was a bad idea. It just, it created a lot of confusion coming out of the gate. People didn't understand what was the difference really between HBO, HBO Go, HBO Now, and HBO Max. And it created a lot of confusion. So wait a minute, if I'm, a Net, if I'm an HBO Now member, do I automatically, am I automatically an HBO Max member? Then they botched the rollout by not having it on the two biggest streaming platforms in the world when it launched, on the Amazon Fire Stick and on the Roku. Wasn't on either of them when they launched. They have had, they've suffered poor results Quite frankly, compared, even though they're putting out great content, they are putting out great content. Like I, I love HBO Max. I, I love that service, but they have dropped the ball on a lot of things, which is one of the reasons why when the merger happens, Jason Kalar is out of a job. Although I hear he's a very great guy. I'm just saying. So yeah, Warner Max seems like a good one. You, I, you just got to have the Warner Brothers name in there somehow, some way. So I like Warner Max. Somebody else wrote in the other day, uh, Warner Brothers Premiere. That's not bad either. Or Warner Brothers Premium. That's not bad either. But I like Warner Max too. All right, next up. Stoner Watch Productions writes, Hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much. Longtime AMC Days fan. I was wondering, with the casting of Katherine Hahn in Knives Out 2, is it too early to call for... <laughs> <laughs> is it too early to call for Mephisto? And do you think this is when X-Men enter the MCU? Wait, wrong franchise. I know. It's like everything. I mean, moving beyond Mephisto. Forget Mephisto for a second. But the moment, it has been hilarious over the last three years watching this happen. Because the moment they announced that Fox was going to be acquired by Disney. And they merged it in with their business. Every single time, without exception, a new MCU project has come out, You there's always these pockets you see springing up of people insisting this is where the X-Men come in. I, I remember a particular YouTuber, even when I was telling people, you're not going to see any X-Men in Endgame. You are not going to see X-Men in Endgame. And I remember one particular YouTuber made a video about how, how obviously there were going to be X-Men in it and... John Campia is just an idiot and doesn't know anything for not uh, buying into it. And blah. it's just every single time 
there were, and, and this sounds ridiculous, but it's true. I still remember when the first images of Thanos came out before Infinity War. And there was an image of Thanos where you could, you know, he's got some scars on his face, including like three scars, right? And I remember, and it wasn't a joke, there were so many people online that were convinced that that was proof, the three scars was proof that Wolverine was going to be in uh, Infinity War because he's got three claws, right? Every time. I heard people speculating X-Men were going to pop up in Spider-Man Far From Home. We obviously heard a lot of speculation that X-Men were going to be introduced in a WandaVision. Um, we then heard more speculation that we're going to be X-Men introduced in Falcon Winter Soldier. I have heard not as much, but I've heard some speculation, people speculating we're going to see X-Men characters pop up in Loki. And Look, the good news is, here's the good news. When the Fox merger happened, Kevin Feige said, five years. I'm not going to force an X-Men. I've got the next five years planned out. Then we'll start incorporating them. And we are over three years into that now. So the good news is we don't have much longer to wait for X-Men. We don't have too terribly much longer to wait for X-Men. So uh, we'll see where they go. All right. Thanks for that, man. Next up. We got Jared's Reviews writes, Hey, John, had a busy month where I haven't had uh, time to tip in a question. No problem, man. Thank you for being here. Uh, I caught up on some movies, though. I did a double feature of Those Who Wish Me Dead and Wrath of Man. Uh, then the next then the next of Without Remorse and uh, Mitchells versus the Machines. Uh, Those Who Wish Me Dead, I enjoyed. While I feel there were some fundamental problems with the movie, so did I. Uh, and a horrible first act that was supposed to be a setup but didn't really do a good job setting things up. I completely agree with you, by the way. Uh, after that, I had a fun time. Uh, Wrath of Man, I enjoyed the first and last act. However, I thought the second act was just dreadful and spent way too long in the flashbacks where I literally almost fell asleep. I'm not going to lie to you. I love the second act of Wrath of Man. I thought it just set the table perfectly, but that's just me. Scott Eastwood and uh, Statham were great overall. I thought it was okay. Without Remorse, horrible writing. They never got me to get invested in the story. I was so disappointed without Remorse. Um, never got me invested in the story. Also, I usually like Jamie Bell. So do I. I Jamie Bell is great. Uh, but oh my God, when he, whenever he came on screen, I had to cover my face because his dialogue was so bad. Biggest disappointing movie this year so far. Yeah, and again, without remorse, I don't think it was garbage, but it had the potential to be so good that yeah, I, I think it's pretty accurate to call it one of the most disappointing things we've seen all year. Even though it wasn't terrible, there was just a lot of bad things about it, and it's really unfortunate. Anyway, Mitchell's versus the Machines. Amazing humor. A bonkers story that works. Great heartfelt moments. Lord and Miller should run Sony Animation. Granted, it's only two movies they produced, but both, to me, have been movies that can easily be nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, I finally got around to watching Mitchell's versus the Machines. Ann and I last week sat down and watched it. Like I said, the highest praise I can give is that it was very Pixarian. It was very Pixarian uh, in its quality. I, I just thought it was wonderful. Um, so, yeah, those are some great. But I my favorite out of all of them was Wrath of Man. I thought even the second act with the, the backstory, figuring out his, Jason Statham's character's actual place in his role, him hunting down the people responsible for what happened to his son, the, all that stuff that happened in the second act, I loved. So my favorite out of all those 
was Wrath of Man. But Mitchell's versus the Machines was also fantastic. If you guys haven't checked it out yet, it's on Netflix. Take Jared's reviews advice and go check it out. All right. Next up is also Jared who writes, I've always wanted a hot toy, but I wanted my first one to be Spider-Man. I've been looking for a while and I finally found one for a reasonable price. And it's Andrew Garfield from the first amazing Spider-Man movie. Uh, he is my favorite Spider-Man. So I'm so happy. I got it. Um, well, yeah, listen, I love Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. Um, I loved the first Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie. The amazing Spider-Man I thought was fantastic. I like I I appreciate that one more than most people do. I really thought it was great. And the chemistry, I hate on-screen romances in comic book movies. Very very few exceptions. Uh Tony and Pepper are is one of the exceptions, but one of the other ones has been the Andrew Garfield Emma Stone Gwen and Peter relationship. I even in the second Amazing Spider-Man movie, which was a significant step down in quality from the first one, but even in that second Amazing Spider-Man movie, the part of that movie that really worked well was the dynamic between Gwen and Peter. I like every moment the two of them were on screen together, the movie was working. Whenever Electro was on the screen, the movie wasn't working. But yeah, yeah there's that. All right. Next up. Uh, also, Jared's Reviews, who writes, final part. Just kind of wanted to share my thoughts on those movies. Thank you for everything you do uh, for the show and all the hard work you put into the show to make it amazing. Uh, it does show, and I appreciate you putting that much work into the show. Oh, thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. You know, it's it's funny. I had a call recently, and maybe I shouldn't share this, but I will. I had a call recently uh, with somebody that, I won't say who, but somebody that has kind of worked with me before. And they were pointing out that like out of all the people and, and there was a lot of people I worked with over the years. There's a lot of people that I introduced you guys to and, and a, a lot of people who came along and, and worked with us over the years. And this person is doing some YouTube stuff, just like a lot of the former people who used to work with me are doing YouTube stuff. Um, but none of them are really having a lot of success. And this one person is doing their channel and they do some really good stuff on their channel, but they're not getting a lot of, like a lot of viewership. Um, and they were asking me why. And I said, listen, there are one or two exceptions, but I honestly believe that the only reason a lot of you guys aren't getting like what you would consider success with what you're doing on YouTube is because how do I put this appropriately? You see, when a lot of these people used to work with me at either at AMC or Collider, all they had to do was show up, sit on set and talk because all the production work, all of the, the legwork, the research, the graphic preparation, the lighting, the sound, the set, all that kind of stuff, that was being done by other people and that was being done for them. And so for a lot of these guys, all they had to do was just show up, sit in a chair and talk. And I think for a, a lot of these individuals now, kind of in the post-Screen Junkies era, in the post-Movie Talk era and all that kind of stuff, a lot of these people just have that same mentality. Oh, I don't actually have to do anything. Just turn on the camera and start talking. I have always believed that the audience, um, the audience 
recognizes when you think they are valuable. Like I want, like if nothing else, I want when somebody who tunes into my show, I want them to instantly know this guy clearly cares about the viewing experience of the people watching him. And so we work our, like a lot of people look at me like shocked when I mentioned we probably put into one John Campy show, there's probably about 25 to 30 man hours go into it. Like I'll work about 12 plus hours a day. Ray works a bunch of hours a day. Other people are doing things and putting in effort and stuff like that. We put in a lot of effort uh, into making our show visually interesting as much as we can. Uh, we don't just want to read quotes. We want to bring quotes up on screen for you guys because we know it's easier to follow along if there's quotes up on screen. You know, we just, I, I, I put in effort on making sure our sound sounds as good as I can make it. I'm not a pro audio guy, but I, I can make it sound as good as I can make it to try to make sure your visuals are good, that the cameras are in focus, things like that. And I just believe that the audience can really tell when you put in effort because... And this is a great little tip for all of you guys who are YouTubers in any kind of field for YouTube. If the audience can tell you don't care about the videos you're making, then why should the audience care about the videos you're making? If the audience can tell this guy doesn't care about my viewing experience watching this, therefore, why should I care about watching them? And I, and I told this one person, I said, when I look at your YouTube videos... I, could, I wouldn't be able to tell it was you, this online personality, because it just looks like some random dude in his, in his uh, place doesn't put a lot of effort into it. You need to show your audience that you respect them. You need to show your audience that you want to give them the best experience they can have watching it. It may not mean a lot. Like, just because I have a, a good-looking, you know, whatever, you know, side graphic come up or whatever, that doesn't make your show better but it just says to the audience, this person is willing to put in effort to make it as pleasant and easy as a viewing experience for me as possible. And honestly, I think the only thing, because a lot of the people that I used to work with are very talented. Some of them are coattail riding hacks, but a lot of the people that I, I used to work with are very, very, very talented and should have a lot of success online, in my opinion, because they're very, very talented. I think a lot of the, the things that a lot of them are missing it's just that work ethic to say, I'm going to put an effort to make sure my show is as clean, as polished, as effective as possible so that the viewer has as positive, as beneficial, and as pleasant an experience watching it as possible. I said, all you got to do is now put in that work to go along with your talent. Because talent without work isn't going to go anywhere. And a lot of them are very talented. And I look forward to seeing... Uh, a lot of those guys start to have some thriving YouTube presences once they start figuring out that they, they're going to have to figure out a way to schedule themselves that they put in more effort into making their presentations. Because once they do, I think they're going to grow pretty quick. I really do. So anyway, that was, uh, that was that's kind of my take on that. Anyway, okay. Um, oh, we're out of time. Okay, you know what? We're going to do one more. We're going to do one more. We'll take this one from Ben Rayner, who writes, Hey, John, uh, last night, Superman and Lois came back. I'm going to watch that episode today. And it was great. Maybe my favorite episode yet. Uh, you know what? I'm 
Okay, it doesn't look like you ruined anything. Okay. Uh, there was a scene in that that made me almost crap my pants. Excuse my French. I love this show so much. Did you watch the newest episode yet? Thanks for your show and bring on the filthy. Again, I have not had a chance to watch it yet. I'm going to watch it this afternoon when we're done the show. I'm going to do my post-production. I'm going to do the editing of the segments and get the audio podcast up. But once I'm done all that, I'm going to go out, have lunch, sit down, and watch Superman and Lois. I'm very excited to watch it. All right, guys, listen. We obviously didn't get through all the questions today. We saw some questions from Pierre, uh, BK Dan, Bojax, Russell Amador, and on. Do not worry, guys. When we start off the live questions part of the show tomorrow, we will start off by getting picked up where you guys left off. There are not too many left to go, but we will get caught up on those ones first and then get to all the new ones. Don't forget, guys, you can send in a live comment and question anytime. It doesn't have to be while we're doing the show. You can send it at any time, and then the earlier you send it in, the earlier it gets right on the show. Once again, just go to streamelements.com slash tv slash tip, or just use the tip link that's in the description of this show or podcast. But for now... That'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia show. Thank you so much guys for being uh, here and being a part of this. And by the way, give me a second just to say something here. Um, I am incredibly proud uh, of my wife. You guys uh, know this. I am incredibly proud of my, my wife. Um, she is like one of the most, no, she's not one of the most, she is the most amazing person uh, I have ever known and she has done and continues to do many, many things that always makes me very, very proud of her. Well, um, she just recently, there are two very, very key things going on. She just, um, she graduated with her fourth degree, her second master's degree, uh, a little while ago, but this past weekend was her actual USC graduation ceremony. Uh, and got her, her, you know, ex officially accepted her second master's degree. And I could not be more proud my, of my wife, my wife and Campia, besides being stupidly beautiful, uh, incredibly sharp, ambitious, intelligent, driven, goal focused, uh, a dungeon master in our Dungeons and Dragons group, an MMA fanatic and loves comic book movies and plays role playing games with me. Um, besides being all that. She is, she's always been a very driven individual and a very driven person. And that is something that really attracted me to her when I was getting to know her was that she is a focused, driven person. And so on top of this past weekend, getting her second graduate degree, um, she also started this year teaching at the University of California. So she was teaching at the University of California, Riverside. And she is now Professor A Cakes, as we call A Cakes is one of her nicknames. So we, we now call her Professor A Cakes. She started first, and tonight is her final class of her first semester of teaching uh, at the university. So on top of being this big senior person at Apple, on top of being a Dungeons and Dragons dungeon master, on top of being a really good Magic the Gathering player, um, she is also a university professor. And tonight marks the end of her first class. So I just want to say to my wife, why? pretty sure is watching this live uh, right now is a uh, baby. I'm so proud of you. I love you. You never cease to amaze me and uh, congrats on all of that. And all that happens at one time. Anyway, uh, some people say I, I'm punching out of my weight class. That might be true. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for today's show. Thanks for being here. Don't forget, we'll be back again tomorrow. Come back and join us for that. Remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends.
Bye-bye.